The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. I was in Fiji last week. That was nice. Were you? Oh, that's so cool. Did you take your kids with you? Yes. Oh, my God. What is wrong with people? Why do people we take don't their have, kids on like holiday? We don't have, like you, a range of available people to dump them with. Bro, I don't have a – I've literally just got my mum and my ex-husband that I can dump my kids on, but I, – I called both of them and neither was willing to take my children. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. That's so unlike my mum. Tenakoto Katoa, this has gone by lunchtime. We're back after a brief sleep. My name is Toby Manhire, and we have been piped in from Wellington, Ben Thomas. Kia ora Ben. Are you running running the coalition negotiations down there? Um, well, no, I, I, I came here to avoid politics, but I, I thought the, the negotiations had, had moved to uh, Auckland, but then... Um, suddenly, suddenly, I saw footage of Winston Peters sweeping imperially through mm. Wellington Airport, bystanders being knocked over by the frenzy, <laughs> the kind of beetle mania, uh, like wildness, the insanity, the insanity that was attending um, on his arrival. Mm. Um, apparently, Christopher Luxon's back down here as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I've miscalculated as always. Um, Annabelle Lee Mather, you're also being piped in through the magic of the internet and you are in a secret secret location somewhere in, I think, Tamaki Makoto, probably also conducting some level of coalition talks. Is that right? I'm just shilling. Oh, okay. <laughs> shilling. Oh, shilling. I think you said I'm chilling. just shilling. Oh, I see. Okay. For whom are you shilling? Don't know. Anyway, hard to say. Hard to say. Who has got say. cold hard cash? That's, that, 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 that's how the whole that's how the whole industry is right now with the uh, uncertainty over the government. Um, yeah. What are, what are we selling into? <laughs> we don't know who we're shilling for. <laughs> we know we're shilling. We don't know for whom. If you would like to be shilled for, then please. Like. Um, Samuel Robinson, thank you for uh, producing us today. Uh, it's good to be back, sort of. You know, <laughs> kind of good. It's let's get you back up to speed for those of you who haven't been paying attention and been enjoying a nice kind of duvet span since election night. It, I, I was thinking back to it, Ben, you remember you and I, I think, crossed paths at the national event 
on election night itself. And I was thinking about that time. It was about 9 o'clock at night maybe on October the 14th. And I'd just been talking to some people at the national event, a um, couple of MPs, a couple, uh, couple of supporters, and the mood was... The mood was really upbeat. At that time, National was sitting on, I think, as high as 42% at one point with about um, maybe just over a third of the vote counted, 40% of the vote counted. At that point, National and ACT together held were those results to have translated through to the final results, 66 seats. So people were thinking about the result that they sought, the National Act, coalition. Then as the night wore on, that sort of started not to slip completely out of sight, but it did become more difficult. And at the end of the night, the preliminary results, were issued, which are issued by the Electoral Commission at like 2 or 3 in the morning, had national on 39% and 61 of 121 seats. So, you know, uh, hanging, by a, hanging by a wire, uh, looking like, because of what we know about the way that specials tend to fall, that wouldn't be enough. And then uh, in the last few days, after the wait we had for the special votes, which depending on your point of view is either kind of infuriating and gravely interdemocratic or uh, if you prefer it was glorious and serene and very welcome and maybe we should make it longer, then we got that last chunk of votes, 20% of votes, slightly more than 20% of votes, maybe even 21% of votes, and National lost a percentage points, lost a couple of seats. Te Pāti Māori picked up a couple of seats. We'll come back to that in a minute. And the Greens gained a seat. Very quickly we had releases come out from Te Pāti Māori Act and Greens all saying, our best results ever, hooray. What it did do, Ben, is confirm the scenario that National had been talking about in the final days of the campaign, if you recall, that we may need New Zealand first and that would be our worst-case scenario. There was even talk about how it might drive us back to the polls. That's the reality that we were landed with. The blue tsunami, it wasn't. It was a blue wave, but not like a particularly huge wave. What's your helicopter view of that, Ben, when you see those special results come in. Is this what everyone has been expecting anyway? Uh, everyone's been behaving pretty diplomatically, um, notwithstanding little soap opera elements like um, David Seymour <laughs> David Seymour calling and texting Winston Peters. The first line of the draft coalition agreement will be, it shall be acknowledged that the statesman Peters did ghost the cuck Seymour. You know, that sort of detail was in there. But otherwise, this is kind of what you were expecting? I think results-wise, you know, again, it's probably what if you took a dispassionate sort of view on election night, you would have been expecting. I actually think the, the sort of elation from that kind of probably peaked around the time that we sort of crossed paths on election night, that that elation didn't sort of, it, it didn't kind of subside in the way that it, you know, it should have as the results, you know, if it was to reflect the results. So I think that, you know, later on in the night, people were still very much kind of acting as if, you know, this was a very, this was a resounding victory. This was a crushing win. Um, you know, it was because Chris Hipkins sort of early on sort of dipped out, said, you know, I'm conceding the election. And, and everybody sort of just started calling Christopher Luxon, the incoming prime minister, um, despite not having sort of nailed down the deals. 
I, I think there was this sort of, yeah, this sort of kind of sense. People were sort of acting as if the results were a little bit different to what they, they were, which was a very, very thin majority that was likely to be, you know, overturned by specials um, and, and would then require, you know, Winston Peters, um, you know, cooperation. I think Peters was the guy who, who didn't lose sight of that. Um, he was he he sort of evolved his thinking. You know, early on, on a, uh, on election night, he was like, "Well, you know, if there's anything that we could, the humble servants, New Zealand First, could do to be helpful to help the new government along." And then by Sunday morning, it was sort of like, I'm the only one who can count, Sonny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, see what we, we'll see what we need to demand. Um, and, you know, I think, the, I, I think that National, you know, in particular and ACT, you know, I think they both realised in a rational sense that they would need Peters. Um, and you saw that with sort of deference to, you know, some of his slightly you know, mad-seeming comments about... Um, the uh, coronial inquest into uh, March 15. Um, and and I, I think there was probably almost sort of as a mirror image of the, uh, the election campaign itself, as we got closer to specials, news started leaking out from the scrutineers on both sides that actually, you know, National had, had won an even more crushing victory that the specials might go a different way to what was normally expected. Um, and again, just like the sort of late Labour flurry, that turned out to be a bit of sort of wishful thinking, um, and specials turned out pretty much as you'd expect, National losing two seats, um, in keeping probably with their their election day performance. I mean, there wasn't a late Labour flurry, but there is, the results did suggest a sort of a, 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 a small Labour comeback or National falling away a bit towards the end because those first part of the votes... Uh, when we're looking at those results in the middle of the night, were all advance votes. Votes on the day didn't support National to the same degree, right? No, that's right. Na- National lost support. I, well, whether you'd call it losing support or whether you'd say that as the election day, on, on the election day, the undecideds didn't break in, in as much in their favour, however you conceive of it. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but 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 again, you know, and in terms of the specials, you know, Labour certainly did not perform. You know, they didn't overperform in the specials. Again, it was the Greens and Party Māori that did. Um, uh, you know, Labour might have held their ground on specials, but not sort of particularly yeah. advanced. Yeah, um, we had on the on the specials. There were there were a handful of of switches from in terms of the electorates. Uh, in Nelson, Rachel Boyack grabbed back. Uh, the majority to a majority of 29. We might see a recount there. There wasn't a change in, in Mount Albert, but um, Helen White's majority slid down to 20, so we might see a, we might see a recount there. Twyford grabbed back Tiata too with a majority of 131. The Māori seats were the most interesting, though, in terms of the electorate um, shifts, both... Uh, we were already... We were already, when we talked the morning after the election, kind of... Astonished at the success of Te Pāti Māori in those electorates across the country, Annabelle. But then um, in Te, te Taitokoro and Tamaki Makoro, Labour candidates ha- had majorities of, I think, about 500 on the night, something around that. And both have gone to Te Pāti Māori on specials. And in, um, in, uh, in, in, in 
Tetai Tokoro reasonably comfortably 517 uh, uh, for the Te Pāti Māori candidate Maria Meno Kapakingi. In Tamaki Makoto, the majority of four, <laughs> the, the, the slimmest of the lot, which will certainly go to a a, 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 a recount, but that's um, Takatai Tash Kemp, uh, beat Penny Henry by four there, and in in Tetai Tokoro, of course, Calvin Davis, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, is out from his electorate. Uh, he had said he wouldn't come back uh, unless he won, and it looks like he's adjusted his thinking, <laughs> refined his thinking on that matter, and will be coming back on the seat. Bells, when you look at when you look at that, six out of seven going to Te Pāti Māori. The only one, the only one that Te Pāti Māori didn't win was the one where Te Pāti Māori's candidate was until recently a Labour MP. <laughs> you know, what do you what do you see when you look at that 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 laid out in front of you in the Māori electorate? What a remarkable turnaround, eh? I, I think most people believe that had Te Pāti Māori stuck with Heather Te O Skipworth that they probably would have taken Ikaroa Rāwhiti yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at the, the voter turnout for Māori this year, it was, it was up o- over the last three elections, on the last three elections, and I think what... What Te Pāti Māori have done is they've managed to activate a voter base that should rightfully be theirs, which is, you know, um, as we've talked about a lot, that the kōhanga reo generation. And it's something that Labour is just failing to do, not just in the Māori seats, but actually um, all around the country and particularly in Auckland. You know, a voter base that should belong to Labour is just laying dormant because they're just not you know, connecting with them, they're not activating them. And I think when I look at seats like Mount Roskill and Mount Albert and Te Atatū, I think, you know, the demographics of those electorates are so different now. You know, they're homes to new New Zealanders and the Māori pa- the Labour Party's MPs in those places don't really look like what the community looks like, you know. They're they're not, Labour has also lost touch with its immigrant Mm. voter base, you know. Um, I was sad to see that Twyford managed to flip that seat back because, you know, National desperately need a Pacific, some Pacifica representation in their caucus and she, you know, was a really remarkable candidate, I think. Um, I I think coming back to the Māori seats, it speaks to what a great strategy it was to run candidates over again. Um, you know, uh, Takuta Ferris stood last time, so did Maria Minor. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you have candidates who are able to start to build up a rapport with the electorate to grow their profile and play in outside of the communities that they live in, where they get to, they've already had some practice with journalists and dealing with the media and doing debates, you know, it's powerful. But also, you know, the seed is sown in the minds of voters that, oh, hang on, that person stood last time, you know, a sense of fairness comes into play like, oh, well, you know, they, they won last time and maybe it's time for this person to have a go because they've stood again and they've shown commitment to to the seat. So I think, you know, all of those things have um, 
have played a part in what's happened with Te Pāti Māori. And clearly there was a very successful strategy run on a two-for-one, you know, you get two-for-one when because you, you look at when the party votes, but it's like, yeah. well, you know, and it's a pretty compelling argument. Get 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 this fantastic candidate who, as you say, you've met before yeah. and then get your, get get another candidate too to cover this vast, you know, the, the, the this vast bit of law here. Um, the, diff- mm. the, the only one where that doesn't apply is Hauraki Waikato, right? So where Nanaya had expressly said, I'm going... I'm going to run for electra only. I'm not on the list. Do you know what? What's your sense of what happened there? I think in the case of Denia, um, I think a lot of people assume because she's such a senior minister that she was on the list and that she was up high in the list. I genuinely think that you can be engaged in politics and have that one not register on your radar. Um, so I think there was probably an expectation that in voting for Hannah they were still voting for um, for Nanaya. I think too, like, because she was Minister of Foreign Affairs, you know, she had to spend a lot of time out of her electorate and not campaigning in her electorate, and that probably impacted on the vote as well and that she's not being able to have those one-on-one conversations with people about, you know, why a, a Labour, a split vote strategy wouldn't work in her favour. But also I think, you know, the, the way Māori voted isn't just about wanting, to, you know, two MPs for the price of one in their electorate. So I think Māori know or Māori see themselves as being far better off under a Labour government than a national government but they want, you know, they want a Labour government, but they want to be represented by Te Pāti Māori within a Labour left-wing government. And I think that's why we see the the strong Labour Party vote and the Te Pāti Māori electorate vote. You mentioned Annabelle turnout and across the board, just briefly diverting here before we get on to the broader coalition negotiations, during the um, widely acclaimed spin-off gone by lunchtime megapod, uh, much some, loved some yeah. some weeks some weeks ago, we asked everybody to guess what the turnout would be, uh, and on election night the turnout um, this is this is the turnout of percentage of people who are enrolled to vote was seventy eight point four percent, and that meant that the winners it was a draw between David Seymour and Grant Robertson, who both picked 78.4%. But, but after special votes, the overall turnout of those who were enrolled to vote was 78.2%. Nobody got that. Nobody got that. But who got closest? Have you got a sound effect, Sam? I think we can probably indulge in just pick a sound effect at some point. doesn't matter what it is. Try one. Oh, I love that one. That'll do it. That's my favourite. There were two people who were with a 1.1% away from it, 0.1 percentage points away from it. The first was Lara Greaves. Congratulations, Lara Greaves. Political scientist from Victoria University of Wellington, um, who will get half a box of chocolates. And the other person who picked 78.3% was Annabelle Lee Mather. Oh my gosh. 
This is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> you two are now you get you're now a political scientist. You can you can call yourself political scientist. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. You get a Amazing. PhD from the the um, University of Gone by Lunchtime. Ben, I don't know what you picked, um, or, or or what I picked. I was lower than that too. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, the, the people anyway. of New Zealand, people of New Zealand, love to vote. They love to get out there. They love to do democracy. They love to. Yeah, they proved us. They proved us too skeptical. Well done, Bells. Congratulations. Does someone from the spin-off want to do like a profile piece on me, or yes. a, yep. like an in-depth interview yes. about my analysis? Maybe a five-part five-part video series. Yes. Just yeah. to, just about your method. You know, yeah. like how does she do it? Like we'll do some animation as we travel through your brain. There'll be a whole lot of people in lab coats with test tubes. It'd be amazing. Should we do It'll that? It'll be a beautiful thing. Absolutely, yeah. So negotiations, you're in the heart of it there, Ben. <laughs> you're uh, you're walking around the streets of Wellington, peering into through frosted windows, trying to see if there's anybody deep in discussions. You know, it's been reasonably well behaved so far. You mentioned that appalling. I don't, I don't think it's not, actually, it's not actually frosted windows. I think the I was I was talking to an official the other day who's who just walked past me on the street, who said that. Um, what do you mean by an official? Can you can you can you be more specific than a official public service worker? Who, okay. Who that um, that that uh, New Zealand first were known to be sort of in or around their building, and one of the one of the um, uh, ground floor rooms uh, facing mm. facing out onto the terrace. It wasn't it wasn't um, frosted, but it, the, the windows had been covered over, sort of like lits. Oh, so it could be. That, I assume they're there. I don't know. So sort of people hanging their double-breasted suits over rails <laughs> on the windows to keep their privacy. <laughs> Um, what's it going to be? I mean, you know, Seymour had said before quite clearly, he told this podcast, I am not sitting around a cabinet table with that clown, by which he meant Winston Peters. And now he seems to be saying that actually he will, I think he said he would share a cabinet table but not a literal seat. <laughs> he will not sit on Martu or Winston's lap, which is which is a which is a sorry, sorry thing because I'd like to see that in the, you know, the um traditional first cabinet photo of the of the parliament, you know, where you see a week of negotiations, it'll be like Okay, I'll share a seat, but he's sitting in my lap, <laughs> not the other way around. <laughs> That's right. Is that when you when you when you peer instead through the you know uh, uh, makeshift curtained lobbies of Wellington, Ben? Do you think that we are looking at? Do you think that the likelihood is that people are thinking about a three way fist bump, a full coalition of three parties? Uh, I, yeah, look, I, th I think that's sort of how it has to work. Um, either that or it's, uh, you know, the New Zealand First have come up with these sort of constitutional innovations in the past, for instance, being they were the first to be a, part, a support party outside government and to have ministers outside government. And you know, which um, seems like a logical non sequitur, but you know, they can they can badge it however they want. And, and and look, I would imagine that they will need you know at least a, you know a couple of ministers in cabinet each. Um, I mean, the difference with having the ministers in cabinet is that it to some degree limits your ability to 
criticise the government, doesn't it? You know, and that that you know the 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 being being outside cabinet enables you not to be bound by collective responsibility and stuff. Yeah, and there is the. I mean, Peters has certainly sort of suggested that you know he, or, or by all of his indications, he's sort of he see, he seems to be probably thinking that you know acquiescence with the previous government or over identification has always been what sort of brought him down. Um, and that even though he was a very effective handbrake on a lot of things that Labour wanted to do in its first term when he was last in government, maybe he didn't get enough credit for those things um, because it all happened behind doors, at closed doors in Cabinet. And, yeah, look, maybe he would like to sit nominally outside and sort of talk about how Jacinda Ardern needs to be imprisoned or something or put on trial or whatever. Are you referring to particularly those yeah, tweets yeah, the, right. in relation to what did you make of that, the Annabelle? That sort of, I've been away for a few days, so I don't know how much coverage that got, but it appeared to be a uh, a dog whistle or call it what you will to a particular group of his supporters who have a particular view of Jacinda Ardern and who have some conspiracy or conspiracy adjacent uh, feelings, thoughts, and feelings. Did you? Do, do, do you think that was he just had missed that the the fact of the manifesto having and the the information having been sent to PMO in those minutes before the March fifteen attacks, or do you think he was doing something tactical and or strategic? Well, I think probably a, a mix of both. I think he wants to be seen as rewarding or throwing a tidbit to his. Um, to his newfound cooker support base. Mm. And, you know, they love conspiracy theories around March 15 and all of that stuff. And then I think, too, he probably genuinely forgot that um, actually all of that stuff around um, the uh, phone call to uh, the email to the PM's office um, had already been made public you know, literally the next day. So I think it was a, you know, I think he wanted to mihi to his fan base. I think um, he buggered up how to do it. And then instead of um, graciously stepping down, he decided to not just double down, but to actually triple down. Yeah, and to, um, to, to change his reason for making the statement. I think exactly. twice he did over, over six years of... I mean, it's not the first time he's done it. Like, I mean, do you remember the Harry Tam... Um, That's right. Tweet it as well, but at at least with Harry Tam, he actually ended up backing down. Um, This time, he didn't. Well, I think there were legal legal threats in that, in exactly, involved in that yeah. one, weren't there? I mean, as a reminder, I mean, you know, it, it, part of me thought, hang on a minute, you do realise that the polls are closed. You're not going to get any more votes by, you know, waving that particular flag. But also it's a rem- reminder, and we hadn't had specials at that point, as a reminder to Christopher Luxon of what you're dealing with. I mean, he's a, mm. he's a powder keg of a human being, right? But, but then I, I think, you know... And maybe it's all sort of a, a fraud exercise and a waste of time trying to get inside Winston Peters' mind. But, you know, every time he's gone into government in the past, his party has registered less than 5% at the next election. And he'll be looking, he's always looking for ways to change that. Now, if it could be that what he's hit on this time is 
constantly reminding that voter base, which is to say the crazies, um, you know, that he's in there fighting for their their side, you know. Um, in the past, you know, for instance, one of the things that people have noted about Winston Peters is that he'll run on sort of incendiary racial issues, but he doesn't do much about them once he's in government, right? And it could be that he's identified that as a weakness, that that he's got to, as, you know, Chris Trotter would say, uh, dance with the one that what brought him um, and, you know, and, and keep signalling to that voter base that he's out there, you know, um, off the reservation with them, um, you know, pursuing their interests. Um, or it might, yeah, or it might have just been a bit of a brain fade about what he remembered about the, that day. And, it, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's fruitless sort of trying to figure it out right now and we'll, we'll establish what it was, you know, if a pattern emerges. I think Ben's right. I th- but I think what it is is, you know, he has no intention on following through on a, you know, Royal Commission of Inquiry into vax injuries and compensation for vax injuries. But, you know, he wants to keep that um, base um, on side. And so, you know, these sort of symbolic um, tweets about their areas of interest is uh, a way to keep them um, on board and engaged with him while he quietly lets things like um, vax injury compensation fall aside in, in any in the um, in the coalition negotiations. Uh, so Christopher Luxon, meanwhile, who has approached this at least in part as if uh, he's leading a mergers and acquisitions process of some kind, and he is, was quoted by the Post in what was you know some terrifically TED Talk type language. He said, we need to elevate up and say, well, what are the big rocks and the additive things that actually the other parties are bringing to our agenda? What are the things we've got variants in and discuss and work our way through? So that's the the, well, the big rocks, the additive things, and the things we've got variants in. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? What are the big I'm just, rocks? I'm just wait. Can I say I'm just waiting for him to change the name of um, Waitangi claims to um, customer complaints. <laughs> <laughs> the coalition agreement is going to have to have a definitive statement on whether uh, Winston Peters or David Seymour had the bigger rocks in the negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm still Winnie from the block. The yeah, what are the big rocks? Are they like um, rocks that the ship could hit and sink on? Is that what the rocks are, or are they like engagement rings? I, I, I thought it was like fraggle rock, like what, or like asterisk. Right. Like what are the big rocks that they're carrying to put somewhere? Oh right, like menhirs, menhirs. Yeah, yeah. They could be all of those things. Or they could be they could be like if you cobble together all your rocks, you build an island, you know, and before you know know you've got a continent. Well let's 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 instead though ask the question, what are the what are the what are the big differences? What are the 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 areas where there are the biggest divergence of view, Ben? Well ultimately the biggest divergence, you know, probably isn't in the uh you know, the immediate sort of coalition agreement sort of stuff, first hundred days, where there's actually a lot of agreement between the parties. But the big the big 
you know, the tonal variance, variances uh, that ACT wants to come in and slash the size of the state and deregulate um, private, private, the private sector. Uh, New Zealand first want to either increase or keep the size of the state about the same. Um, their method of their, their method of sort of um, intervention in markets is either subsidies, as we saw with you know the provincial growth fund, or it's you know regulation and national sort of and, and sometimes they've promised nationalisation. Now that isn't on the cards this time, but. Uh, you know, it, it's really using the state's own levers as opposed to ACT, which wants the state and, and regulation to get out of the way. And um, one, one particular area where that's um, sort of on point is that we've heard that, you know, New Zealand First and Shane Jones have been put, you know, are quite thin on getting the commerce portfolio. Um, in their manifesto, they promised that they would crack down on, I think, banks and... Supermarkets? Supermarkets and petrol, maybe. Um, and and then, on the other hand, um, I think, you know, Active said, you know, one of the first things that the Minister for Deregulation or Regulatory Reform will look at is the finance sector and see if it's over-regulated. So they really are, they're pulling in two very, very different directions. Now, if it was a purely mathematical exercise you know, about vectors and forces, you'd say that you would leave the centrist national party totally static in place and you would have a very centrist government. But, of course, that's not how it works because both of those parties need wins. And so you might have some pretty contradictory uh, tendencies. But so, for example, the in the in the case of the, the banks, the supermarkets, the energy companies or whatever, a bauble for any one of the parties would be in the form of like a sheriff's badge just to be, we're walking around and being tough and they, they sort of need a certain number of those each, right? That's the, the 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 symbolic wins because as you said earlier, Ben, the great challenge of MMP governments is getting sufficient wins in whatever form such that when you go back to the polls the next time, you aren't either blamed for the sins of the the leading party of government or ignored because you haven't got anything to claim. Bells, what do you reckon otherwise? I mean, obviously the obviously the referendum question looms large. It seems from Christopher Luxon's rhetoric in recent days, he's simply said, well, I will just reiterate that our position is that we believe the referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi principles that's been called for by ACT is something that we will believe, believe would be divisive and unhelpful. Um, seems like that's, 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 that's not going to happen, but maybe a Maybe you could imagine something that would appeal also to New Zealand First or be happy would be a select committee inquiry of some sort or some other kind of mechanism so that that is seen as uh, uh, a win when either party really goes back to their supporters. Yeah, it's ironic because, you know, Winston spent a lot of the campaign, you know, railing against Māori indigeneity and those sorts of issues. But now it looks like New Zealand First might actually be the ones to help keep the the um, the referendum off the table. I think Shane Jones said something like he doesn't want to see the, the treaty severed from its historical mm. um, moorings. I mean, the irony is that we've heard so much talk in the last 
you know, over the course of the campaign about Labor should have done a better job of explaining co-governance and all of those things and what it means. And I think I think there's some truth to that. They could have made a stronger case and we did see Hipkins start to do that towards the end of the campaign. But the Waitangi Tribunal has been running for a long, long time now. Those conversations are taking place all around the country. There's even, you know, reports that you can read. The discussion is happening and the Crown gets to appoint who the referee is in the form of a judge and have a whole lot of, like, lawyers and all of that line up and state their cases. So, you know, if people are genuinely interested in this stuff, go and Google the Waitangi Tribunal website. You're not living in a vacuum with a lack of information. It's there for people to get their heads around. But, I mean, coming back to, sorry, I digress, but coming back to New Zealand first, for me, one of the, two of the obvious ones is the superannuation issue um, with Winston wanting to, you know, keep it as is and Mm. ACT wanting to... uh, raise the age and the other one being what to do with the question of you know foreign buyers and and nationals promised tax cuts because yeah. that's something that um that New Zealand first is vehemently opposed to totally and you can imagine the national reason being reasonably willing to to give up the their plan for a you know a, a graduated uh decrease in the uh, sorry, increase in the superannuation qualifying age. You know that's not going to affect the books in in the near term, uh, but the foreign buyers tax one does mm. mess with their tax plan, which they're committed to. Ben, but that you can imagine that's something that they might say, well, we'll find another way to raise that revenue. I mean, it's tricky though. They've got a mini budget that they're still promising before before Christmas. Those are chewy, those are chewy areas which may or probably haven't really been got stuck into yet. No, I mean a number of people said that, you know, if have said, and they're probably right, that if if New Zealand first would have ruled out the foreign buyers um, <clears throat> well, reinstatement plus tax, um, that they might actually be doing national a bit of a favor. Um, uh, you know, I think given some of the spreadsheet wars that we saw in the campaign, yeah, but I think that it's I think it's pretty clear that the tax policy was subject to a lot more rigor during the campaign than it was in its development, and uh, you know, it would be then subject to more rigor from Treasury if you actually wanted to incorporate it into your forecasts. Mm. Um, and I think that um, quietly sidelining it and then saying it's because of New Zealand first is probably in their best interest. Then, of course, you know, there's, then there's the question of, you know, where do you find um, quite a lot of money, you know, um, $750 million a year for your tax cuts, um, mm. whether that involves a delay, whether that involves, you know, more swinging cuts to the public service, uh, or whether, it, whether it, it changes their debt track a little. I'm not too sure, um, but they, you know, they... They're very committed to the tax cuts. Obviously, Nicola Willis said she would resign if she didn't deliver the tax cuts. Um, mm. and so- I can't remember with quite what specificity that was, whether if she didn't deliver the tax cuts precisely as promised in the National Party's manifesto or whether she didn't deliver the tax cuts. There was a slight shift in language that was detected by news. Well, I don't think like- it was pinned down as precisely as that. So, I mean... I think there's always. I think there'll be room for. They could bump it out a bit. They could. They could shift it a bit here and there. I don't think she's quitting. 
I, th- I don't <laughs> think she's quitting. I think she's going to stick around a little no, that's, bit. That's right. She might. She might. She, she might just share a seat with David Seymour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's. By the way, she's probably got a reasonable, given the way the cards have fallen, a reasonable chance of being deputy prime minister now too, doesn't she? But now it could it could just create uh, upset with the other with the other potential partner. I, I don't think Seymour would be too upset if Peter's got deputy prime minister. Really? really? No, I, okay. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, deputy prime minister, it's certainly, it's certainly an important role, absolutely, and you do stand in for the prime minister at certain things, which I think is where the prestige comes in. But otherwise you really are sort of intended to kind of be the lieutenant, you know, sort of, um, kind of marshalling the troops. It's just with the third, the third biggest uh, vote count of the three parties to get the deputy prime minister position. I think that would be the objection, wouldn't it? Oh, look, I, th- I think there's plenty of grounds to object to Peter's having it. I, d- I don't know that Seymour. I don't think that Seymour would value deputy prime minister enough to forego sure. any of his other priorities. I think, you know, yep. Winston Peters always a little, you know, a little impenetrable in terms of what out of his vast manifesto and the, the darkest corners of the universe he will actually pursue as his priorities. So, um, but, you yeah, know, look, I, I would think that Nicola would be the favourite for it at this stage. What do we think um, in terms of the way that the coalition agreements are drafted, there's been some discussion about how in 2017, uh, where Labour had separate agreements, which seems seems again to be likely, it seems likely, I would have thought that there would be separate agreements between National and each of the parties, it's a, be a much harder way to negotiate without them, though of course they need to not contradict one another, they need to be complementary, but there's been some discussion that Labour made the mistake of... Uh, of inferring, assuming that anything that wasn't mentioned in those, where, where, where anything wasn't mentioned in either of the coalition agreements or the, the coalition agreement and the confidence and supply agreement with the Greens, that you would default to Labour's manifesto, that Labour is the government, uh, and then New Zealand First would say, no, I don't fucking think so. You need to, on certain of those, we need to go through the process. Does that mean, Annabelle, that we end up with like phone book size coalition agreements? What's your, as a political scientist... As a political scientist, yeah. <laughs> correctly. What's your what's your what's your view on that? Do they nail? Do they need to nail everything down, or can they do a bit of vibes-based coalition? Let's see how it goes. I feel like there's going to be, but because you've got such, um, because you've got coalition partners or parties that hate each other's guts mm. if we're honest mm. i imagine <clears throat> that there's it's going to be they're going to be quite detailed coalition agreements i don't think they'll be governing by vibes i think yeah. there's going to be quite a strict playbook in place so that they can enjoy bashing each other with it um that would be my assumption i think you know if if it was like Labour and the Greens, it could be way more vibey, but because it's national, because it's because of the New Zealand First uh, uh, Act element, it will have to be quite detailed. Mm. Maybe a telephone book, yellow pages, like mm. 
A to G kind of vibes? I'm, I'm not sure how you do that necessarily across all of government, though, because National very deliberately took a very small target approach. They don't even have you know, published policies in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Now, New Zealand First, their manifesto, it's very long. Some of it's extremely detailed. Um, some of it's very uh, sort of strange. Some of it sounds sounds like literally like Winston Peters just sort of, you know, gave dictation. You know, somebody said, what's our policy on, um, you know, what's our policy on this, this sector? And, you know, and he says, you know, we'll take this down. For too long, New Zealand is... And ACT have very, very detailed policy in particular areas. Mm. Well, I, look, I, I don't think it will be possible to do that kind of roadmap because I don't think, you know, for instance, if you look at the RMA, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, all all three of them have sort of ideas about they, what they want. New Zealand first want to return to the Climate Country Planning Act. Um, mm. You know, ACT want um, sort of tradable rights and everything. And, uh, you know, National want sort of, you know, in, indeterminate sort of more streamlined uh, development-friendly um, legislation. So I, I actually don't, I don't know that the parties themselves know enough about their future plans to be able to, to create a detailed roadmap. But Christopher Luxon is very much a process guy, you know, he, he likes setting up the processes for, you know, people to work within teams, as he says. Mm. And so it might mm. be that it's detailed in terms of a protocol. Yes, um, yes. T's and C's, lots and lots of T's and C's. And like lots not a lot rocks. of strategy, but lots of T's and C's. But I don't think it's possible otherwise. Uh, you know, I think I think early on that will be the easiest part for them, where they can mm. whack in some anti-gang legislation, all three of them at the podium, or maybe wearing yeah. matching blazers of some sort, you know. <laughs> Does that not qualify? Does the matching blazers qualify as gang and gang yeah. insignia, though? Will they be arrested immediately on site? Crack yeah. gang, crack yeah. down. Um, already here, you know, the referendum, I think, is off the table for ACT. But, you know, you're already hearing signs. Um, Christopher Luxon, you know, talking about um, the Marine and Coastal Area Act uh, last Friday and talking about, you know, making some fair comments. I think that the judiciary have really kind of... Uh, pushed the boat out beyond the 12-mile limit in terms of their interpretation of, of the yep. Act. Um, whether that makes it wise to legislate over the top of is not something that I've sort of turned my mind to particularly. But 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 there, were, there are certainly things like that and maybe the court's application of Tikanga far outside the boundaries of where you would normally think it would apply, like the Ellis case. Um, th- those might be things that, you know, Act would, you know, the, the, the parties could sort of um, could work on that might sort of scratch the itch of their sort of uh, some of their tendency, their collective tendencies during the campaign um, that National could live with. Um, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. Um, my my former colleague, James Christmas, didn't make it in on the specials. I think Christopher Luxon said during the campaign that he was slated to be the Attorney General and Treaty Minister in a national government. Not obvious to me who would be the treaty minister yeah. out of the current national caucus. And so, you know, there is there is there is a chance, you know, somebody like Shane Jones. Shane Jones. You know, goes yeah. in there and wow, wouldn't that be something? You say, you know, time to sort out your cousins, but this time it's not with regional growth funds, it's settling Napoli. <laughs> 
Oh my god, easy peasy. Signing a deed of settlement. Okay, well, I think we should we should we've solved that, so we should probably leave it there. I mean, the the one thing I guess that while it's quite fun to um, talk about the uh, Christopher Luxon leading theatre sports sessions to try and have everyone get along in those intervening weeks, it is absolutely critical, right? Like it is, there are going to be occasions, whether they're in areas of policy that aren't nailed down in the agreements or where there are just events that come along where they have to have those relationships. And that 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 Seymour Peters thing, again, while it's something that is easy to make light of and kind of marvel at the antagonistic, belligerent exchanges between the two in the past, if they if it comes to something, that could you know, that could bring Chris Bishop's <laughs> Chris Chris Bishop's prognostication of a collapse in government to reality, right? Well, look, it, there were certainly indications, I think, in uh, 20, tw- early 2020 that New Zealand First was sort of looking to, you know, use a, in left-wing terminology, being an accelerationist um, in terms of a breakdown in the government uh, prior to COVID. You know, he certainly was acting out um, when his polling was sort of, you know, on the decline heading into election year. Yeah. So, look, I, you know, this this will, you know, any, any you know, uh, um, uh, you know, a stool. What is it? A stool is a more stable structure than a than a, either a chair or a sort of, um, you know, but but a, a three legged sort of um, governing party is is yeah, it's 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 much it's more unstable than two, um, and. You know, it will require it will require strong management from everyone involved. Um, okay, we're good. We're done. We'll be back again in maybe fortnight. Things will happen, and we will discuss them. When are you predicting it will be done by uh, Ben to win two of Annabelle's Friday. this Friday? Mm. Annabelle, I would say like maybe another fortnight. I think, what's today? Tuesday. I think next Thursday, nine days from now. Nice. Uh, and if either of us gets that right, Annabelle, you have to forfeit some of your chocolate fish, which will be no. forthcoming. To no. You. <laughs> I'm doing a treaty claim for my chocolate fish. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Kakite. Kia ora e te iwi, Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.